What a beautiful spirit of the Lord in the house tonight. I hope you came to the house expecting great things because he is in the building to meet you at your needs. The word of God just says to draw nigh unto him. You take the first step and I will come unto you. He has never left you. He has never forsaken you. He has always been there for you. The furthest you could fall would be right into his hands. He wants to shape you and mold you and sculpt you into the image of God, into the image of Christ. Oh, lift your hands up. I'm ready to receive the word, God. I am ready to receive what the Spirit has for me to receive. I have come to this place because I am desperate and I am in need. And there is no greater place than being desperate for God. There is no greater place to be than wanting God with all of my passion, all of my heart, all of my soul and might and strength desiring the things of God. There's no greater place to be than right here, right now. With the people of God and with Jesus Christ walking in the midst of you, we can all feel him today here in this place. What an incredible spirit. What an incredible spirit. Oh, let's just sit here for a moment. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. He's trying to have a heart to heart with you. He's trying to have a moment with you because we haven't been able to give him a moment all week. We've been too busy with work. We've been too busy with the kids. We've been too busy with school. We've been too busy with everything else but with God. And he's trying to have that moment with you. He's trying to have that moment with your heart. Saying, don't worry. If I am for you, then who could ever be against you? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. I have fearfully and wonderfully made you. And my love is perfect and it will make your love perfect. Oh, mighty God. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. marinate for a moment I feel the spirit rising in this place I feel chains starting to break God I've been dealing with some things in my life some things that the preacher earlier spoke about some condemnation in my life some unrepented sin in my life 
of things that have held me and they have entrapped me and they have chained me in bounds. But God, you are the liberator. You are the redeemer. You are my savior. And also you have captured me. An incredible, incredible spirit in this place. Come on. Oh, hallelujah. Let's just thank him for that word right there, mighty God. Thank you. Thank you for that word. Everything you need is right here in the house of God. Everything you need is given to you by the Lord. We don't need what this world has to give us. Everything that makes us content and happy and joyful is here in the word of God amongst the people of God in the kingdom of God. Whoa, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I would, I would like to thank Pastor Kyle and his family. Keep them in your prayers. Uh, as someone in their family uh, died, they're up in Alabama, uh, that they have a pray for the family and their safe return. I would also like to thank the, the ministry here. Um, that works so hard, not just these wonderful ministers, but also all the ministries that run the church that set up and tear down and all the hard work that goes on in the, the media, the Sunday school. Thank you all so much. I would also like to give thanks to Pastor Sapp, who is not here, but has been such a great influence over my life and over many of all of your lives. I wouldn't be here without him. I wouldn't have grown so much without him. I would also like to thank my future wife, wherever she may be, and children. I just kind of feel uh, left out if I don't mention them, you know, whoever you are. If you're, if you're watching me on the stream, just, uh, just DM YouTube and I'll have, uh, I'll have Edward take care of it. Thank you. Praise God. <laughs> Faith. That's right. Faith. <laughs> yeah. Shoot your shots. All right. Mighty God. My scripture for today is in Jeremiah 18, 1 through 9. It's a very popular scripture, but it is oh so important. So important to understand how God shapes and molds us. Say amen once you're there. Amen. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. He then obeyed. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. 
Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, sometimes you have to go listen to the Lord in order to get the word of the Lord like Jeremiah did in order to understand what God is trying to do in your life. O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hands, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it. Sometimes he has to destroy some things in your life. He has to pull on some things in your life. He has to press down on some things in your life. He has to break loose some things in your life. If that nation, if that nation isn't whom I have pronounced, turn from their evil. I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them, and that what instant, or in at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant. Whew. Isaiah 64 and 8. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father, we are the clay. And thou art potter, and we are the work of thy hand. You may be seated. Or before you're seated. Let's go ahead and lift our hands and pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. Open our hearts. Open our minds, God, to receive this word. To, to help give us understanding and revelation. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated now. Whoo! The question I present to you today is who is your potter? Who is your potter? We understand in today's world that there are many influences that shape our heart, our mind, and our spirit. As we approach the holiday season, an estimated $1 trillion will be spent on advertisements through your phones, through your computers, on billboards, in magazines, and in the buildings themselves. $1 trillion. Have you ever looked at your phone? Have you ever talked to somebody about something? And you're like, yeah, man, I, I really like the way that looks. I, I really think that new computer's awesome. I, uh, I need this car part. I, I need this thing for school. And all of a sudden, you look at your phone, you go online, or you go on your computer, you go online, and that thing is sitting in the advertisement box. Yeah, that's kind of scary, big brother. But also, at the same time, that's where the trillions of dollars are going. Because they're trying to shape you and mold you and influence your pocketbooks. Television shows are now increasingly adding the alternative lifestyles, pushing the LGBTQ, racial biasness, love for yourself drama, make your own truth agendas. You can tell a lot about a person by their Netflix account. Who they follow on social media, who they subscribe to on YouTube, who their friends are. Who they, who they allow to give influence in their life, who they listen to, who are their friends. All of these things compose and shape you. Who is your potter? What is shaping you, what is molding us as human beings is what has a hold of our hearts. What we spend money on and wherever our treasure is, our, our hearts are as well. Worldly shape 
The shape by this world will teach us how to improperly love. We will mistake real love for a false love in lust. We'll find an improper usage of joy. That brand new car, I am so excited. Woo! Five years later, it's falling apart on you. What a hump of junk. Come on. The tangible things. It will develop a lust and a carnality in our life that can never be quenched because your flesh can never be quenched. It will always want more. It's what everyone has always wanted when we live in the flesh. It is the word more. I want more. But there's something when we channel that more and we put that more into church and we put that more into Jesus Christ. I will always want more of Jesus Christ. I will always want more of the things of God. I will always want more of the fruit of the Spirit. It pressures you in areas of your life, the, the, the world does, that you're not pretty enough, you're not handsome enough, you're not smart enough, you can't sing well enough, your house isn't big enough, the shape of your body isn't good enough, your friends aren't cool enough, your bank account isn't big enough. And there is only so much a person can take because all of these things and all of these areas that I just mentioned cause disappointment in life. It causes an expectation of fleshly desires. And when that expectation is not met, it causes heartache. Why doesn't that cute boy like me? Why doesn't that beautiful girl pay me any attention? And failure after failure, heartache after heartache. Whew. You know, you have people who go through real tragedies in the church. You, we have people who go through breakups and divorces and children are hurt. And we have people who, who have family issues and drama and molestation and all kinds of craziness that happens. And this causes heartache after heartache. Disappointment after disappointment. And if we're not after the Spirit of God, then what ends up happening in our life is we become desensitized. We become numb to our pain. In the flesh, our heart does something. Our heart will build a wall. How many of us have ever built a wall around our heart because we just don't want to feel hurt again? We don't want to feel disappointed again. And that clay that, that used to be so malleable, it used to be so, so flexible and able to form begins to dry out because you need moisture, you need water, and, and able to form the clay. And it becomes hard. The goal of Satan is to keep you in this hardened state so not even him or Jesus Christ has the ability to form you or shape you. Once he gets to his goal and you have become hard, you won't listen to anyone or anything. You won't take any advice. And it's not your fault. I understand it. Things happen in life that make us hard. Things happen in life that make us numb. It's called being human. But Satan will use this as a weapon against you. But guess what? One day you decided to walk into a church filled with the Holy Ghost. 
And when you walked into that church, you, you began to feel Jesus knocking on that wall. Hey, hey, buddy. I just want to start breaking into this thing a little bit because I have some words for you. I have some, some miracles in your life. And, and all of a sudden, as a, as a person who is tired of being sick and tired, someone who is tired of being hurt, says, God, I need change in my life. I need help. I can't do this on my own. I'm depressed. I'm alone. I need help. And we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And God says, well, guess what? I need some water in your life. Because I just got done breaking some things down around you. And I need some water to put back on this clay. So why don't you just go ahead and get into that water? Why don't you just go ahead and get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Look what baptism does in your life. Because when we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, all things become new. That water that allows the clay to be formed can now be malleable again. It can now be moldable again. The water is on your life. We've become a new creature and all things have become new. God has now become your potter. Ezekiel 36 and 25 through 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a heart, a new heart, and a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is teachable, that is moldable. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and do them because that is what shapes us. So now God begins to reprogram us. And sometimes reprogramming us isn't fun. It's not fun at all. And when God begins to reprogram us, he changes our mind. He changes our thoughts. You are pretty enough because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are handsome enough because I am the one who is creating you. You are smart enough. You can sing well enough. You have a nice enough car. You need to be content in your house. You, the shape of your body is good enough. Your friends are cool enough. Your bank account is big enough because I will provide for you. The value of your life is infinite. It is infinite in the kingdom of God. You are the most valuable thing to Jesus Christ. Matthew 6 and 25. Because you're so valuable to Jesus Christ, live in a content lifestyle. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. And what you will put on. It's not, is not life more than food? Some people would argue that. I love food. But is life, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. Neither, neither do they sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? You are the most valuable thing on this earth. Every single person on this earth has value. Just because you are saved, it doesn't mean that we won't go through bad situations. Matter of fact, for some reason, I feel like we go through more trials and tribulations once we get saved. I know, you know, many of you have watched me grow up. Some of you know my trials and tribulations. I've seen you guys and I've witnessed many of your trials and tribulations. And every time I see you have victory in your life, it shapes you for the better. You become stronger in that area. And the best thing that could ever happen to you was that trial. The best thing that could ever happen to you was that test. You can't have a testimony without a test. The best thing that could have ever happened to you was him to deliver a strike to your pride. Let's expound on Job. Bad situations happen. God's favorite at the time. Probably the only one serving him at the time. Had a hedge of protection around him. Satan comes up to him. There's nobody out there. No, no, have you tried my servant Job? Try to mold him. Let me see what happens. Go ahead, Satan. Put your hands on him and mold him. Just don't take his life. And God built Job's kingdom up. He was rich and wealthy. He had all the things that he needed in the land. And all of a sudden, Satan gets his hands on the vessel and begins to mold and shape him. What does he do first? He attacks his family, his wealth, his finances. The number one or two thing that destroys families is arguments over finances. Notice how Satan attacks you. He then attacks the family. He strips away everything that he loves and holds dear, except for his relationship with God, his his wife turns on him, someone that he's supposed to be one with in the flesh. Curse God and die. Woman, you don't know what you're talking about. He's got three boneheaded friends that come in. They start giving him terrible advice. <laughs> How many times have we been in that situation? Like, what are you trying to say to me? But I'm going to follow it because I'm desperate. And he begins to tear you down and he attacks his body and boils and just living is pain. But he would not go against God. The closest that he ever got to, to going against God was simply asking a question. The same thing we ask when we go through our turmoils, our trials. Our heartache and our pain. Why is this happening to me, God? What did I ever do to you? I have tried to serve you with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my might. God simply responds. Isaiah 29, 16. 
Surely you have things turned around. Basically, he's saying, how dare you? Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? Do you deserve my glory? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make it? What are you doing? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? In other words, who are you to tell the creator of all things, who shaped the world, who, who stretched forth the heavens all by himself, who causes the winds beneath the wings of an eagle to soar through the sky, to question me and what I'm doing in your life? Because what is happening in your life is the best thing for you. Don't you understand? I see your ending from your beginning. I have all wisdom. Trust in me. I know you can't see it now because you're blinded. You've never been in this situation, but I promise you, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will always be there for you. You are mine and mine eternally. How can we question the creator? The audacity, right? How big are we? We've gone through some things in my life that we've all, or in our lives, that we all have questioned God for. It's part of human nature. Sometimes it's okay because we need to get it off our chest. Just remember who you're talking to. God gives us tools. And in these tools... And in this tool set of our lives that he gives us are our tools so that Satan cannot hijack the wheel once again. Don't allow him to hijack the potter's wheel because you have free will to allow him to control you. doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. We don't believe in once saved, always saved. We don't, we don't believe in that because we have the choice to not serve God anymore once we are saved. The word is very plain and clear on those things. And these tools that he gives us are weapons against Satan so that he cannot hijack the potter's wheel. We understand the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the girdle of truth, the, the feet of the gospel, the shield of faith, and the sword of the word. Those are wonderful tools to have. We know that his spirit is with us and the word of God is here to guide us. And he has open communication through prayer with us. But the two most powerful weapons that we have in relationships are repentance and forgiveness. If you master these two things in your life, you could never be offended or hurt by anyone. <laughs> including yourself. The first tool is repentance. We look, we, we all fall short of God's glory, right? We will never be perfect. We are only perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ. We all sin. The only reason why we are here today is because God first loved me. No matter what circumstance I was in, He found me, He loved me, He chose me, He drew me to Him, and He saved me. That is why I am here with my family today, because of what Jesus Christ did for me. 
but I sin. I'm still human. Things still happen in my life that I'm not proud of. 1 John 1.19 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we are at odds with God and we have sin in our life, we can combat it with repentance of a sincere heart. Without it, we cannot be saved. We must repent every single day in order to have a clear conscience. We have to have it. It has to be central into our relationship with God. God, I am sorry. True repentance does not just stop at sorry. True repentance is found in Matthew and Acts. And one more time in Mark, it says, Therefore, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Replace your sin with the fruit in the kingdom works of God. You have to replace them because if you don't replace them, then what you're repenting of, the sin that is troubling you, will just come right back. You can't, you can't just say, sorry God, it won't happen again. You have to replace it with something godly. If you don't plant something godly where sin was, the tree of sin will still rise up in your life. You have to repent. The scribes and the Pharisees, they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and placing her in the midst of them. They, they, said, they said to him, teacher, this woman had been caught in the act of adultery. She just sinned. And she is standing in front of Jesus Christ. This is how just he is. This is the redeemer that we serve. That in the midst of your turmoil, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your sin, he is there for you to redeem you. Jesus bent down, he wrote his finger on the ground. I don't know what he wrote, but I think it might have been something like life. Give her life. Forgiveness. Let, whom hit, let who here without sin cast the first stone. But when they heard it, they went away. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, not one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And sin no more. Understand that Jesus Christ in that moment in that time when she was sinning. Just moments ago before he, met, before he met her. He was about to mold her and become the potter of her life for eternity. She goes on and tells them. She was one of the greatest evangelists in the city. Telling everyone of the miracles of God. And what he had done for her. Understand that Jesus didn't just shape her through forgiveness or repentance. He also shaped the Pharisees that were to stone her because of the law of Moses. Said, hey, you all are so quick to judge. Why don't you throw the first stone if you don't have any sin in your life? And one by one they left until there was no one shaping those who take judgment in their own hands. 
Every time Jesus spoke, he was always shaping something. He was always turning the Pharisees and the Sadducees upside down. Therefore, now there is no condemnation but which are in Jesus Christ, whom walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Repentance is a shield from feeling condemnation. It is a shield from Satan. It doesn't allow Satan to get into your heart because when we have condemnation in our life, it is an open door. What is condemnation? It is unrepented sin. And if I have unrepented sin in my life, if I have something that I'm struggling with in my life that I can't let go and I can't truly repent of it, <clears throat> then I have condemnation and Satan can enter into my life. The second tool is simply forgiveness. This is the most powerful thing that Christ has given us in relationships. The most powerful thing. Matter of fact, if we do not forgive, he will not forgive us. It's a salvational issue. If you're not forgiving someone in your life, then it's a salvational issue. I'm not going to try and tell you where you can go. You can kind of infer, you know, infer what I'm saying. We have to learn how to forgive. If you don't have the capacity to forgive someone, then you hate the very thing that God has done for you. You hate it. You hate it. God, thank you for forgiving me, but don't forgive them for what he did to me. I would despise that. You hate the very thing that he has done for you. And the debtor, the king asked his, for his money. And the, and the servant came to the king and he said, I don't have your money. And the king just simply said, oh, okay, well, I'm going to throw you in jail and I am going to ship your, your uh, wife and your child off. So that you can pay me back. And then all of a sudden what? <clears throat> he falls to his knees. He says, no, 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 don't do that, please. I love them. I beg for them. Take me. Take my life. Whatever he said in order to, in order to gain compassion with the king. And the king was full of compassion. And he simply said, I forgive you of all of your debts. And everything that you owe me, the 10,000 talents, don't worry about it, buddy. I got you. That same servant goes and finds a servant that owes him money. This parallel is pretty obvious, right? And he finds, and he says, hey, you owe me money. You need to give it to me right now. And, and the servant's like, I don't have your money. Well, you would expect that servant to simply be like, yeah, you know, I just got forgiven of the largest debt I've ever had in my entire life and that uh, I'll just forgive you, but the servant doesn't do that. He says, no, you're going to jail and I'm shipping your kids and your children off. And then the king heard about what had happened. And when the king heard about what had happened, he sent him to jail and sold his wife and kids off. Be very careful about not forgiving someone in a situation. Be very careful about not forgiving a family member or a friend or someone in your life or an enemy. Be very careful. You're in dangerous territory. It's a salvational issue. Matthew 
18.21, at the very beginning of this scripture, we are found with this. Peter probably thinking that he was a hot shot. Because for some reason he's got, that, uh, he's got that reputation. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone? Who sins against me? Seven times? Thinking that was a good answer. Seven times is a lot. And Jesus responds to him and says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Peter thought that he was being really spiritual by the willingness to forgive up to seven times. But Jesus responds to forgive someone up to 490 times. That must have been quite a shock to the seven that Peter threw out. If you've ever studied Hebrew, Hebrew is what is alphanumerical. What that means is that every single word has a numerical value. If we look at the numerical value of 490, we find something very specific. The number 490 comes from a Hebrew word, taimin. Taimin is the word that means to complete, perfect, or finish. A person who cannot forgive will always live an imperfect and an incomplete life that lacks true understanding of the finished, gracious work of the cross. 490 is also the value of the Hebrew phrase, let your heart be perfect, found in Kings 8.61. Forgiving people helps us complete and is key in perfecting our hearts. When you truly learn how to forgive someone that hurts you, then we will understand God's agape love for everyone, the unconditional love that stops at nothing. His song that says his, his love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. This kind of love he has for us is not just limited to him. But this love we can share with one another. My love for you will never run out. It'll never give up. It'll never run out on me. It'll never fail. If you fall, I will be there to pick you up. Woe unto them who falls and there's no one there to pick them up. Find that agape love. Find that strength to forgive someone who is who has completely crippled you. Find that strength to forgive someone the way God has forgiven you of your trespasses. Because if we don't and we hold on to the grudge and we hold on to the hatred in our life, it's a salvational issue because he has been forgiven by God. Or forgiveness is optional to him even if he doesn't live for God at the moment. Unforgiveness. I have found that people who can't forgive people who wrong them or bad situations have ha that have happened in their life have a much deeper issue. That deeper issue requires both tools of repentance and forgiveness in one fluid motion. Your relationship with God will shape two of the most important laws in your life. The most important thing in the Word of God your relationship with God will determine and shape how you treat and feel about people. 
Your relationship with God will shape and determine how you feel about yourself. In other words, to love the Lord, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart is a direct correlation with love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't know how to love the Lord thy God and you're not in love with him, then you will never love people. And you will never love yourself. And you'll treat people the way that you treat yourself. Because you have no idea how to love. You have never allowed God to love you. Allow God to love you. Learn your relationship with God. See this world through Jesus Christ's eyes. And you will learn agape love. Self-forgiveness is one of the hardest forgiveness we could ever we could ever imagine relinquishing from our lives. When we do something terrible to someone, trying to find that self-forgiveness, or when we allow something terrible to happen within our life, trying to find that self-forgiveness. The reason, the reason you don't love yourself is because you have forgotten who you are, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye so forth, praises of him that have called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Somewhere down the line, you have forgotten what your God has done for you. And that new creature that was created, that once was, is no more. I have stopped partaking into the fruits of God or in the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Take as much as you want. I want love in my life. I want peace in my life. I want joy in my life. He, the Word of God says there's no law against it. Take it. Take as much as you want from my well. Take as much as you want from my spirit. But sometimes we betray it. <clears throat> Bad experiences in our life. Those bad experiences in our life, huh? Man. We can't allow the bad experiences to shape us and harden us. Because you can be a hard Christian. Don't think for one second that you can't build a wall around your heart while you're living in this thing. Don't think for one second that you can't have a heart filled of hatred and be sitting in the pew. You can. I was once there. We are shaped by the failures and the pains in our lives. They do the greatest amount of shaping. When I fail, I learn. When I'm in pain, I'm learning about myself. It is doing an un unbelievable amount of shaping. There's pressure that is being put in my life that is shaping me. One of the worst experiences that I ever happened in my life was, was actually in church. And it was done by a church person. Right? That's not supposed to happen. It happens. We know. Just keeping it real. Thank you. And my closest friends know exactly how it affected me. The tears that I cried, how much it crushed me, 
how I felt betrayed and manipulated and used and then rejected and discarded. At first, I was just going to walk away and quit. And then you would have never heard this message. So I went on a fast. Oh my goodness, those things are terrible. And I, I went on this fast because I knew I had to because if I allowed my carnality and my anger and the darkness in my heart to rise up out of me, I was walking away from the church. And I was walking away from everything that God has built in my life. We've all been there. Some of us are on the verge of doing that right now. You're sitting on the pews and you're like, I don't need church. Let me tell you something. You need this church. You need Jesus Christ in your life. God has opportunities. He has a plan in your life. And he wants to see that plan come forth in your life for the kingdom of God. Don't quit. Don't walk out. Learn how to forgive and to repent. But God revealed to me that I... In, my, in the middle of my fast, I was on the 10th day, and I was only doing 10 days because I would have died if I went another day. <laughs> and on the very last day, and God hadn't spoken to me the entire time, I just read his word, and I just listened to the little voice in my head that said, fast for 10 days, and I hadn't heard anything, and I was like, why am I doing this? I just said, keep going, and my attitude got bad, and you know what happens when you don't eat. And all of a sudden, on the 10th day of that morning, God revealed to me that I'm just trying to shape you. I'm just trying to form you. This whole situation wouldn't be a problem if you didn't have so much pride in your life. If you just walked in some humility and you just humbled yourself, forgiving the people who wronged you wouldn't be such a problem if you just had some humbleness and humility in your life and you would cast away your pride. I'm just trying to shape you before I can take you to the next place. Just trying to shape you. No matter how painful a situation may be, always bring repentance and forgiveness into that situation. Always bring mercy and grace into that situation. Always do what God has done for me in that situation. Always forgive. But learn, just because you forgave someone doesn't mean you forget. Right? I'm not going to trust you, buddy, but I forgive you. I no longer harbor harsh feelings towards you. I no longer hate you. I actually love you as a brother. I'll pray for you. And whenever you need me for anything, I'll be there for you. But I am weary. I have wisdom now of the experience. Judas and Peter. If uh, the music can start making their way this way. Judas and Peter, both disciples, they both walked with Jesus. They both touched Jesus. They both healed the sick 
with Jesus. They fed the multitudes with Jesus. They even were the eyewitness manifestation of God manifested in the flesh. He's standing right in front of you. And they still couldn't resist temptation. Because of Judas's weakness, Satan was allowed to enter into him. And he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And then he walked over to Jesus and kisses him on the cheek, betraying him. Matthew 27 and 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned... He repented unto himself, and he brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elder. He repented unto himself. Do you know what that means? Have you ever done something that you instantly regretted, and you're like, take it back, I don't want it. I don't need this in my life. I made a mistake. I don't want it. And you try to give it to the people and you try to give it back to the people who have no power to forgive you. He repented of himself. He had self-pity about himself. Take it back. I don't want it. I have shed innocent blood. But you've already made the deal. And you're misusing the tool that God had given you. Judas, you were a learner of Jesus Christ, an eyewitness account of who Jesus Christ was. He never taught you to repent of yourself. He never taught you this is the method of repenting. Just give it back. Throw it, throw it back and forget about it. To feel regretful about it. This isn't what he taught. He taught you to come to me. And I will be just to forgive you of those sins. Confess unto me. Because I am the one that holds the power of life and death. I am your only way into heaven. I am the only one who has the power to forgive. And Jesus used the tool that God gave him in the wrong manner. He repented of himself. And the people that he repented to had no power to forgive him. And because there was no power to forgive him, he had condemnation in his life. And he could not forgive himself. He could not repent correctly and he could not forgive correctly. You need both tools in order to forgive yourself completely. You need them both to forgive yourself completely. So how did Judas feel? He no longer belongs to the, the Pharisees. The people that he did the deed for. But now he feels because of the betrayal that he no longer belongs to the disciples. He was what? He was truly alone. Truly alone. And sometimes in church we feel truly alone. And it's the most dangerous state you could ever be in. Look what happens to him in verse 5. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple. He departed. He went. And he hanged himself. He committed suicide. Do you know that the suicide rate has climbed this year? You can't tell me that the church isn't needed in this time of day where people don't value their lives and they're willing to take their own life. 
They're so depressed and alone that they have no value. They're depressed and they take their own life. You don't think Jesus can save them? You don't think God has put you in their life for a reason? Who? Peter. You know, what Peter did was no different, but we don't talk about him as much as the betrayer. What he did was no different. Jesus said before the cock crows that he will deny me three times. Jesus, I would never deny you. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to deny you. I've seen everything that you have done. You've, I've, I've raised the dead with you. I've never done that before. I healed the sick. I've never done that before. I've watched the eyes that were blind be able to see and have sight again of a man who was born blind. I have seen miracles. You fed the multitudes in front of me. How could I ever betray that? Yet when his life was on the line, aren't you one of those disciples that follow that Jesus fellow? No. Who's Jesus? No, I don't, I don't follow him. That's, who's that guy? Runs away to another crowd that maybe they won't recognize him. Maybe he'll blend in better over there. Hey, I know you. You, you, followed, you followed Jesus. That is not me. I did not follow Jesus. Why does everyone keep saying that? I'm not him. I'm going to come to this crowd, try to blend in. Go ahead, Al. Aren't you that guy following Jesus? What? The audacity. Blankety blank, I am not that man. The word of God says he cussed. Why? Because he had to remove his identity completely to make people think that he was something that he wasn't. He had to remove his Christian character completely. Everything that Jesus Christ formed and shaped. But it was the greatest thing that could ever happen to Peter. When he made eye contact with Jesus Christ. And the rooster began to sing his little heart out. Peter saw him in the distance. He was crushed. He was torn apart. He fell to the ground. And he wept bitterly onto the steps. Because he had just been confronted with something that he wasn't supposed to do, that he had been told about beforehand. And it came forth. Oh, I don't know what it would have been like to be in Peter's shoes, but I'm pretty sure he felt the same exact way that Judas felt. I'm pretty sure that the depression and the loneliness kicked in. I'm pretty sure the thoughts of suicide and hanging himself probably were thought about a few times. I'm pretty sure that, that he felt like a nobody. But he hung in there. And at the Sea of Tiberias, music if you could come. The Sea of Tiberias, Peter sees Jesus. I remember what I did, but 
I'm going to run to you because I remember what you have taught me. I remember forgiveness of myself, and I, I've forgiven myself. I remember repentance in myself, and, and I, have, I have repented unto the thing that I have done. And Jesus meets him, and he simply redeems Peter. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus responds, feed my lambs. He says again a second time, like, man, this is... It's kind of like what happened to me when I got asked if I followed you. He gets asked a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend to my sheep. And for the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to the because he said to him the third time do you love me and i can just imagine peter with his head down in worry and he said lord you know all things you know that i love you and jesus said to him feed my sheep and the three denials were completely redeemed with the three i love you's and jesus christ restored peter but the question is, is what would have happened to Judas if he hung in there? How would Jesus Christ have redeemed him? I just imagine Jesus seeing Judas and walking up to him and just kissing him on the cheek the way that Judas kissed him on the cheek. Asking Judas, do you love me? If we could all stand in this place. Altar is open. Do you love me, Judas? We'll never know. So what happened? The council took the money and they bought the potter's field. And then was fulfilled the prophecy that was spoken by Jeremiah. This is in Jeremiah. And they took the 30 pieces of silver and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord has appointed me. In history, the potter's field was associated with the field that pots went to when they were completely destroyed and unusable. They had to discard them somewhere. And that's where Judas was buried. Potter's field. Peter. I don't believe for a second that Peter would have preached Acts 2.38 if he didn't have the experience that he had with Jesus Christ. If he didn't have the experience of disappointment, of shame, of regret that he felt on the steps when he was, when he was weeping and crying because of the betrayal that just took place. We've all been there when we've been ashamed. We've been hurt. We've hurt someone. 
and you feel not worthy. When Peter was redeemed, the power of God restored him. Peter did the same thing Judas did. He denied him. Peter hung in there. He used these two tools perfectly. God, forgive me. And God redeemed him. And Peter was the one to preach Acts 2.38 with power. Peter was the one who stood in front of 3,000 people and preached the very first message of salvation. It could have been any of the other disciples. They're not the ones who betrayed Jesus Christ. But Jesus chose a sinner. Someone who betrayed him. And he walked forth. And he delivered the message of salvation that 2,000 years later still saves, that 2,000 years later still gives hope, that 2,000 years later still heals, that miracles spawn from. There are people in here, there are people in here who are going through things, and this altar is open right now. If you have things going on in your life, right now in the spirit, I feel that there is depression in this house. In this spirit, I feel loneliness in this house. There are people who are walking on the fence. There are people in situations with their family right now that they don't know what to do or how to handle it. There are people who are so depressed it's so alone that they are battling with suicide. There are people in this house that haven't forgiven someone in their life. And that person is still tormenting them today. But if you would just learn how to forgive them the way Jesus has forgiven you, to humble yourself, forgiveness would happen. Clarity would happen. Redemption would happen. Right now, let's just begin to pray. Mighty God, I love you. I praise you. I exalt you. You are mighty beyond belief. You are mighty beyond belief. Your spirit of healing is in this place. Your spirit of liberty is in this place. Chains are meant to be broken. You are here in the midst of us. Come on. Some of you are struggling with some things on your computer. Some of you have a relationship in your life that is, that is not healthy. And I need God every single day. He wants to take you to the next level. He wants to use you for the kingdom of God. Allow Him to mold you and to shape you completely.